Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the subject of overcoming sin and that people will try to use various incentives in order to encourage people or themselves to put the sins out of their life, to stop sinning. There are various incentives that people try to use, and in the previous program I was explaining the carrot. The program before that was the stick, but in the previous program I talked about what I would describe as the carrot. That people will try to use blessings as incentives, or promises that might be fulfilled in their life as an incentive or rewards in heaven as an incentive to encourage you to stop that sin, or whatever sin, to stop the sin in your life experience. That this is something that people will often use, this methodology or this philosophy, this approach to try to get sin out of people's lives, and I was explaining that it just doesn't work. That this kind of incentive is not a successful approach. And I realize that there are many people who would probably take issue with that. I understand that. But from what I have perceived, from the people who I have personally interacted with, I am simply not convinced that this is going to be successful, that this will be successful. I've never encountered anyone who has successfully been able to proclaim that these things were sufficient to change their hearts so that not only would they not want to commit a certain sin when heavily tempted by this sin, but that they did not engage in that sin. I am not aware of anyone who could proclaim that this has been a successful method or a successful approach to dealing with their sin to the extent where they have overcome their sin so that they can proclaim that their goal of their Christian life has finally been achieved, that they have found a way to become holy through this incentive program that people try to use in order to get people to live this Christian life that people suspect that they should be living. So that's what I was talking about in the previous program. In this program, I would like to follow through with that and tell you one of the side effects that I have witnessed on many occasions that I am very concerned about. The side effect of this kind of belief concerning the carrot in people's lives, that people will offer blessings, promises that will be fulfilled, rewards in heaven, that the Lord will deliver things to them. He will acknowledge their success in overcoming sin by delivering things, by delivering opportunities in their life, by providing them with blessings that they will be able to recognize as being moments of divine intervention that they certainly experienced some divine intervention in their life so that they can say that this is a successful approach, a successful model to dealing with personal sin. But here's my concern. What I have witnessed is that when people take this approach, what they end up doing is they end up contradicting another scripture. 
they contradict other passages in the scriptures, and I don't find this to be intentional. It just simply turns out to be a side effect. Consider, for example, what Paul said to Timothy in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. The statement is actually found in verse 5, but beginning in verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself." Now, godliness with commitment is great gain, found in verse 6, but he's talking about a different kind of gain. The gain that he is concerned about in verse 5 is that there are people who are of corrupt minds. Other versions say depraved minds or perverted minds. That there are people who are teaching the scriptures, they are teaching Christianity, they are teaching the faith, and they are of a corrupted mind because they proclaim... They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. When I read this verse, the way that I perceive it is that if a person is telling you, if anyone is telling you that godliness, that the Christian life, that to be a Christian, that to live in this way is the way in which you are going to be able to obtain blessings, to obtain these promises, to obtain these rewards, to obtain these deliveries, that you're going to get these things because you are godly, the way I read this verse in 1 Timothy 6, verse 5, is that you're listening to a person who has a corrupted mind, that this is not what godliness is about. This is not what the Christian life is about. It's not about getting deliveries from God. It is about something else. It is about living with what you already have in Christ. Not doing things or not doing things or living in a certain way in order to get some gain from the Lord, but to live with what has been given to you because of what He has done, what He has accomplished on your behalf. This is a distinction, a very important distinction, that I don't think that people are really considering when they speak about the carrot. I don't think that they are really aware of the side effect of the direction that people will probably move in or go in in terms of their faith, in terms of their trust, in terms of how they perceive their God, in terms of how they understand what the Christian life is about. They will eventually become corrupted by the advertising of rewards, by the promises, by the blessings, that these things will begin to take priority in their life in such a way that they are going to lose sight of what the Christian life is truly about. The goal of the Christian life is not to get your flesh under control. The goal of the Christian life, from my point of view, the goal of the Christian life is to start trusting your God. It is to rely on your God. It is to believe in your God. It is to embrace the inheritance that you have received as a result of his death that has been defined by the will of God, and you are to live with the abundance of what you have received. 
You are to live with all the blessings that you have received. And yes, they are in heavenly places, but that is a spiritual representation of what you have in Christ, in your spirit, right now. That is a description of the person of your God, the very person who is now alive, living within you, who will guide you, who will lead you, who will direct you, who will show you the world through his eyes. That, to me, is what the Christian life is about. It's not about your flesh. It's about your spirit. It's about your heart. It's about who you are as a person. And that the objective of the Christian life has to do with resting and trusting and living with the abundance of what you have. Because that's what we truly need. The reason why people sin is because they have needs. They have deep-rooted needs that are being tempted by the sin that they are confronted with. They are tempted because there is something that is suggesting that their needs will be met if they engage in that sin. There is a tremendous preoccupation with what people are doing or not doing, but people are not asking the question, why? Why does a person sin? I mentioned earlier that they do it because they want to, but why do they want to? They want to because they are empty. We want to because we are empty inside. We have deep-rooted needs that our God created us to have. There's nothing evil about the needs that we have. We have a need to be loved. We have a need to be accepted. These are needs that our God created us to have, but these are the very needs that are used against us in the context of temptations, that the temptations are coming to us, that we are dealing with these temptations because there is the suggestion, there is the temptation, that we can achieve fulfillment through engaging in sin, that we will feel loved, that we will feel accepted, even though we won't be. We are still tempted by sin because of these needs that we have. And our God created us to have these needs, but he created us in such a way that he is the only one who can meet these needs, who can fulfill these needs that we have deep down inside. Sometimes this is difficult to believe, especially when we are confronted by the open temptations that we are confronted with in the world all the time. It can be difficult to believe this, But this is a decision that you're going to have to make. You're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not you are going to believe the Lord or you're going to believe the world. That becomes the decision. It is a decision made by belief. When you refuse to believe your God and you engage in sin, the sin is an expression of your unbelief in God. Again, the sin is an expression of your unbelief in God, your failure to trust, your failure to believe. When you engage in sin, it should be a reminder to you. It should be a way of acknowledging and understanding that you are failing to believe, that you are failing to trust. What do you do? Do you feel condemned? No. You turn to the Lord with a heartfelt attitude that you really want to believe Him that you really want to trust him, and he will tell you once again that he loves you, that he accepts you, that he really does, and he really wants you to receive what he has for you, because that is what you need in the deepest part of your being in order to say no. It is the only way to say no to sin. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 
It is the only way. There is no other way. It is the grace of God. The graciousness, His mercy and His graciousness in terms of what He gives. When a person lives by fear, they cannot embrace the love and acceptance of God. When a person lives by guilt and shame, they cannot embrace the love and acceptance of God. When a person lives by blessings, promises, or rewards, they cannot accept the love and acceptance of God because they have not yet received adequate delivery of the blessings, promises, and rewards in order to confirm to them that this is true. They cannot wait. You cannot wait for such confirmation because you will never obey enough in order to achieve it, to earn it, to get it, for it to be delivered. You must believe because of what he has already done, because of what he has already said. He has done it all. He has said it all. And if you won't believe it, then there's nothing more that he can do in your life besides wait for you to concede that what he has said is true, to embrace it, to believe it, and make your decisions in your daily life according to the truth that he has revealed. Respond to the truth by making your decisions in a way that reflects what you really believe and what you know is true, and that will be your expression of faith in your God. Now, to exaggerate the point concerning the carrot and the stick, I'd like to give you an example. A very simple example, but a difficult one, I believe, for many people to hear. But I'm going to use this example in order to give the greatest exaggeration that I can think of in order to really make the point that the carrot and the stick are not appropriate at all. Consider the sin of adultery. The sin of adultery is a very destructive sin in people's lives, not just in the relationships that they have with their spouses, but it also affects others who are in the family and others who are around them. It can be a very destructive sin, the sin of adultery. So let's consider an example of that. If you're not married, assume that you're married. If you are, then consider what it would sound like if your spouse came home one day, came home and spoke to you and said something to the effect of, you know, I had a very exciting day. I had a wonderful day because I overcame something that I've struggled with for a long time. You can assume that this is what you're hearing from your spouse, that your spouse says to you that they struggle with the temptation of adultery. And I'm sure that this is going to make you feel really good when you hear this, but let's assume that they're telling you this, that they really do struggle with adultery, that on occasion they really do have a desire to engage in an inappropriate relationship with someone else, that this happens to them often, and that today there was this person who they have in their life or who they ran into in their life that tempted them with the sin of adultery. They were very open about it. They requested that this person, that your spouse, they requested that your spouse engage with them in this relationship, and your spouse is telling you about this. They're telling you that this person was very attractive to them, very appealing to them, that the temptation was beyond any temptation that they perhaps have ever experienced. They'll give you this incredible explanation of how powerful this temptation was in their life. And then they proceed to tell you that they decided that they would not engage in this sin because why? Because they were afraid of God? Is that going to make you feel good? Is, is that really going to be 
a good reason in your mind as to why they would not engage in this sin. But in a previous program, I mentioned that. I mentioned that this is an incentive that people like to use to get people to stop sinning. They like to try to put the fear of God into this person. Well, is that what you would like to hear? Would you really like to hear your spouse say to you that that was the reason why they said no to sin, why they did not engage in that sin, because they were terrified of God? If that's not good for you, maybe you would like them to tell you that the reason why they did not engage in adultery was because they would feel guilty. They would feel guilty if they did that. Is is that really what you want? Is that what you would like to hear? Well, again, this is what people say. They tell people that they should feel guilty and that this will be adequate incentive to get them to stop sinning. And so if this is what is taking place then why would it bother you so much if your spouse says to you that this is why they decided not to give in to this temptation? Do you understand where I'm going with this? What about the other one? What about shame? Because they would feel ashamed if they did that. Is that really what you want to hear? No. That is not going to make you feel better at all. It's going to make you feel really bad because you know full well that these reasons are unacceptable. These are the reasons that I described as the stick, that people are going to try to avoid a beating. When I put it in this way, when I describe it in this way and make it as personal as I can, will you not see that these methodologies, that these approaches that people take concerning the restraint of the flesh are unacceptable? They're inappropriate. They simply should not be considered at all. What about the carrot, as I described in the previous program? What about the incentives of the blessings? Is is this what you would like to hear your spouse say to you? That they did not give in to that temptation because they were concerned that God would not bless them. That maybe he was about to deliver a blessing because they had not engaged in adultery, but that they really decided not to do that Because they really want to be blessed by God, they really do, and they expect, especially now, that he will deliver, that he will bless them in some way. Is that what you would like to hear? Is that how you would like your spouse to relate to you in the context of their sin and their temptations that they struggle with? Is that the kind of relationship that you really want to have with another person? I I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think that that will be satisfactory to you. I believe that you would like something different, completely different. How about the promises of God that your spouse says that they are not going to engage in adultery because God made a promise to them and they want God to keep that promise. They don't want him to change his mind. Is that going to be reasonable incentive? Is that going to make you feel good? How about rewards in heaven? How about that one? Would that be adequate for you if your spouse says to you, I did not engage in that sin because I don't want to have to give up any rewards that I might receive in heaven? Is is that going to make you feel? Is that going to make you feel good? Is that really what you're after? This is the point. Think about this very seriously. If these are the reasons why people are going to say no to sin then I don't think that these reasons are acceptable. I really don't. 
and I don't think they truly reflect what our God has in mind. There are many other reasons, many other incentives. People say things like, well, don't you want to be pleasing to God? Get this sin out of your life because you want to be pleasing to God. Is that what you want your spouse to say to you? They will say to you, I did not engage in this horrific sin because I wanted to be pleasing to God. Is that what you want to hear? Is that the kind of relationship you want to have? People will say things like, don't you want to stop sinning and so that you can show your appreciation? Your appreciation? How appreciative you are because of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? You know, he did so much for you. Don't you want to show your appreciation for what he's done by putting the sin out of your life? Is that what you would like to hear from your spouse in this circumstance? He will say or she will say something like, I did not engage in that sin because I wanted to show God how much I appreciate God. I wanted to show him how much I appreciate him, how much he's done for me, and how much I am really thankful for what he has done. That's why I did not engage in that sin. Now, of all the things that I have said, are any of those things sufficient Are any of those things adequate? Do you really believe that those things are appropriate when I put it in that context? If you do, I would be concerned about you. I really would. I don't think that these things are appropriate. But this is how people relate to their God. This is how they relate to him. And I really believe that this is what he hears. That when people turn to him in prayer that they say to him, I did not engage in that sin because I was afraid of you. I did not engage in that sin because I didn't want to be ashamed, because I wanted to show you how much I appreciate you, because I wanted to be pleasing to you, because I don't want to miss out on some blessing, because I want to be rewarded. That is what he hears. And for some reason... For some reason that I don't think is appropriate, I don't know what the reason is, but for some reason, if your spouse says something like that to you, it's unacceptable. But if they say that to God, is that somehow make it acceptable? No. You do not want a person in your life who relates to you in that way. And I don't believe that God wants a person in his life who relates to him in that way either. I don't. I don't think that the sincerity that people are expressing is something that God respects, is something that he honors. I really don't think so. I really believe that when he hears our prayers that describe such things, that that is what he hears, the description of what I just gave concerning the offended spouse, that he hears the same thing in the same context, in the same way, that there is something else, there must be something else that he has in mind, because I don't think that any of this has anything to do with what he had in mind when he instituted and invoked the new covenant, made you a new creation, established a new relationship with you. I don't think that that's what he had in mind. I believe that what he wants to hear is that you decided not to sin because you love him. And we know that the only way that we will love him is if first we receive his love for us. As it is written, 
that it is not that we love him, but that he loves us first and that we love him with the love that we have received from him. That is the transaction that we must rest in the love of God. And as we rest in the love of God, his love will meet the deepest needs of our heart to the extent where we will say no to sin because he loves us, because of the fulfillment that we receive as we rest in his love. And we are able to say no to these temptations and proclaim our victory concerning these things to our God, that we do not do those things because we do love him. And I believe that he will honor that, just as a spouse would honor that from another spouse who would tell them, I did not engage in adultery because I love you. I believe that that is the kind of testimony that he is looking for out of his people. Not these incentives that people try to use in order to encourage people to say no to sin. That there is something else that has to do with a changed heart. The issue that I see is that all of these doctrines that people try to promote, proclaim, utilize in their lives, and encourage other people to live by, it is these doctrines, it is these beliefs that prevent people from truly embracing the love of God. That is why I wanted to spend time talking about this subject in these programs, to explain to you how I believe God perceives what people are believing, what people are living by, that I don't believe, I just really don't believe that this is what he had in mind. If there are things that you believe that lead you to believe that you are not accepted by him, that you are not loved by him, then those things need to be addressed. Those teachings need to be revisited. And if you are under the teaching of someone who proclaims things like this, get away from them. You need to get away from them because they do not know the truth. They are of a corrupted mind. Let go of that religion that you're part of, whatever it may be, whatever denomination, whatever church, whatever community, let it go because it is not of God. There is a reality in Christ Jesus. Do not fail to enter in to that reality according to the new covenant that he has established. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you